0: a professional working in the field, or a person diagnosed with an AI arthritis disease, this podcast is for you. So pull up a chair and take a seat at the table.
1: Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360. This is the official talk show for the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis, or AI Arthritis for short. My name is Tiffany Westrich robertson I'm the CEO of the organization and also a person living with the diseases myself. So I am here today as one of the co-hosts. I'm joined by another fellow patient co-host and my rheumatologist, Al Kim. (laughs) Woo-hoo. <laughs> All right. So first and foremost, I'm going to turn it over to Deb to say hello.
2: Hi, everybody. I'm Deb Constein. I am tuning in from Madison, Wisconsin. I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis at the age of 13. So 40 years of having this lovely disease and lots of lived experiences going with it. All right. Thanks, Deb.
1: Deb is one of our recurring co-hosts, so you probably heard her on here several times with me before. And our guest of honor today, Al. Hey,
2: Al.
3: Hey, <laughs> Tiff. <laughs> I name's... have a hard
2: time, like, even calling a doctor well, Al. just took, I know. It, it yeah. took me yeah. a long time.
1: If you listen to the older shows, like from two years ago, I always say Dr. Kim, and then it kind of went to... Dr. Al, and then he just goes, oh, it's just Al. Just yeah. say Al. <laughs> because
3: I, I behave like someone who deserves to be called Al. So anyway, and it's also the I name my it. mother gave me when I was born. So anyway, my name is Al Kim, and I'm an adult rheumatologist at Barnes-Drewers Hospital in St. Louis, Missouri, where I'm also on faculty at Wash University School of Medicine. I also founded and I co-direct the Lupus Center here at WashU, U. And Tiffany is indeed one of my patients some interesting things we've had many good discussions though
1: we have you know, during we our have, visits we have and that teased me right up for the <laughs> co- for the topic so this is actually part 2 Two part series here, a spin-off of our series called Roomy Rounds and Roomy Rounds if you've heard before is actually co-created in part by Al because I asked him, I could you come and do like a pilot with me? We think it's a really good idea to have some episodes where rheumatologists and patients sort of come to the table as equals and we talk about some things that might not be so easy to talk about to a doctor. And then together, we sort of hash things out and then come up with solutions. And so in this particular episode, it's a part two to one that aired in December of 2022 with Dr. Lisa Zicker. And it's called The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. like saying it (laughs) like that. So, uh, which is going to be an ebook that AI arthritis is going to be putting out based on submissions of stories by both patients and rheumatologists about situations in the office setting where communications may have led to some really great outcomes and experiences, and maybe not such great outcomes and experiences. I have to say, because I mentioned this before we started recording, Lisa was very, very in on the side of the good. We got a lot of good examples. And I said, I bet you I can get a couple from Al that he can share with us that maybe weren't so good. So there's a lot of pressure on you, Al. No, it's not, it's not <laughs>
3: pressure. It's just baseline.
1: Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> and now and now I'm kind of setting myself up because I am one of those patients. So I don't know. I, I But I think we have- He might of,
2: be talking about you. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm going to really be
1: listening for that. But I feel like we have a lot of good examples of what happens in, in good experiences. So- That's the topic today, and as a result, we are going to be encouraging all of you who are listening who are people living with a arthritis diseases or rheumatologists, we have a link for you to submit your experiences of what you think is, constitutes a good experience in the office, a bad, and just a really downright ugly. Because we do have examples, and it's important to listen to all of them so that we can highlight some great examples of what to do, what not to do for both parties. And then we're going to work patients and rheumatologists together to create some recommendations of best practices based on those submissions. And see, you can be part of an ebook just for, for submitting your story. You'd be part of the project. So we're going to kick this right off with Miss Deb. Deb,
2: All right. I feel like I'm a
1: game, game show. Choose you kind Like of got I got that, cards. You've,
2: Good, yeah, you've got that energy. Bad <laughs> or ugly? Which one would you like to do? Which would you like to share with us? So I'm going to start with my ugly experience that I actually walked out of the appointment with my rheumatologist and he got fired on the spot. It was a follow-up appointment and he was new to me anyways, but he had asked if I wanted to go on a clinical trial. Mind you, I was actually doing well with where I was at with my medications and things like that. And he asked if I would go on a clinical trial. So I went home, talked to my husband about it, came to the follow-up, and I told him, you know, I don't think I want to poke the bear. I think I'm doing really well. I believe in clinical trials, but I don't think this is the right time for me to go digging around. He looked at me and he told me my husband must not love me enough. To give me that recommendation. (laughs) And I'm like, I think we're done. And I literally got up and grabbed my jacket and I walked out of the appointment. And I'm like, I I can't keep going to this practice. I'm gonna have to go to some other rheumatology clinic because I'm not even gonna even venture the thought of meeting this guy in a hallway of another rheumatology. I was like, yep, I'm done. So that was my ugly.
3: Wow. I I think I think we're done.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) I know it was shocking to me because I get I I really we really talked it over and really hashed it out with my husband. And he supported everything that I was like coming back with. And for him to say that, it was something it was well, something that's so if we were if that was an example in the book
1: let's just let's just pretend we're reading your story yes. in the book and you know i i think what do you, well, before I say that, what do you think, Al? What is some of your recommendations yeah. <laughs> on what might be better practice well, or communication? Well,
3: I, <laughs> I
0: can't wait to hear I
3: this. Mean, I mean, simply put, I mean, the exact opposite of what happened. I mean, this is a, you know, the old school example of how medicine used to be practiced as paternalistic uh, kind of point of view, right? That there, the communication was unidirectional and in one mm-hmm. direction from the physician to the patient. Yeah. There's no room for negotiation. There's no, you know, and, you know, back when all of this was happening, I mean, there was, you know, there weren't really many lawsuits, you know, malpractice type lawsuits, which mm. kind of changed the, the the game quite a bit, actually, good and bad. But at the same time, you know, it's, how, how do you just discount what you say you know they might as well have put a muzzle on you and just mandated yeah. a whole bunch of things for you and 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 insult <laughs> you yes. it, right yeah. and so yeah. um yeah yeah that that pretty much sums up that experience that's yeah I'm I'm glad that you fired them on the spot I mean no yeah. one, I mean every every sane human would have done the same thing
2: yeah I I I I am not that kind of person that ever like just makes a judgment call in the moment. Cause typically, I I mean, I think I would have been more shocked and probably sat there, but I didn't. I'm like, yeah, game over. (laughs) We're done here. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: You know, I'll throw, I'll throw one out. That is both. It started as an ugly kind of a bad to an ugly, and then it turned out to be good. And so that was when I started in Los Angeles, when I was originally diagnosed that I moved to Phoenix on my way back to St. Louis. And when I was in Phoenix, I had, while I moved there, I had a, my diagnosis with rheumatoid arthritis. And at the time I was on a medication indicated for rheumatoid arthritis exclusively. And I was really getting bad to the point where I could not get out of bed in the morning. It felt like my spine was glass. If I moved a half an inch, it would shatter. I was having to carry a bar stool around with me everywhere because I couldn't stand longer than a few minutes. I knew this was related somehow to my spine, to my lower spine. And at the time, this was, I'll date this, this was 2013. I had been tested for ankylosing spondylitis and I didn't match the criteria so didn't know what to do so i get to this new rheumatologist in phoenix had visited and they said let's start over with some blood work and some x-rays and all you know the kind of the whole new new journey of of trying to figure out what's going on with you we're not convinced it's rheumatoid arthritis And long story short, I go back to get the results. And it wasn't the rheumatologist I was meeting with. It was the physician's assistant. And she was going over the x-rays and the blood work and said, you know, we just don't really see anything that's showing up. So we're going to go ahead and leave this as rheumatoid arthritis. And we're just going to keep continuing the treatment and see what happens. That's when things got ugly on my part. (laughs) because I was not happy at all. Uh, I was in more pain than I ever had been, well, even to this day, so up, up until that point. And I just kept saying, this is just not acceptable. I need you to listen to me that something is going on that is not working with the medication that I'm currently on. So something has to change here. And I ended up just, saying kind of, do you know who I am? I know all of these things because I'm friends with the Spondylitis Association of America. And so I started rattling off what they say and diagnostics and things. And uh, and she goes, I'll be right back. And she leaves for five minutes and the doc comes (laughs) in. So I just really refused to leave the office. So I kind of turned that ugly. But I I just wasn't going to take that as the answer because I knew better in... And not everybody can say things like, I'm friends with the Spondylitis Association, you know, but it got her to listen. And the doctor came in and he sat down and he listened again. He looked over everything and he said, I just got back from ULAR and heard about a new disease called non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis. And you tick all the boxes and it turned into a good a good visit. And he put me on a new biologic that at that time was in clinical trials for that condition. And within weeks, two weeks, three weeks, it started working. And I was on that successfully for six years. So good example of, I think, a crescendo.
2: I agree with you. Because again, what jumps out at me is you as a patient, you spoke up for yourself and you just kept, you know, re-acknowledging, okay, well, what I'm feeling is not normal and this treatment isn't working. So standing up for yourself and actually having back. Yeah. And I should say, I fast forwarded
1: it, you know, but that conversation was at least 15 minutes of me. I'm sure it was. Saying, I'm telling you something's wrong before I went into I know this is different because this is why. So right. I just want to clarify, it wasn't like I just jumped to so that.
2: Well, I'm <laughs> there sure you did a yeah. lot of yeah.
1: back and yeah. forth, and I'm not leaving. I was kind of standing my ground. So let me ask you, Al. Hearing that story, have have you? I don't know if you probably have because you are a very good communicator. But um, my English
3: is pretty good. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I just- I I mean, put it it out there for the the public to know.
1: You listen very well. And, uh, you know, I think I'm going to attest to that because I was very complex when I came to you and said, I still have things that are happening and I don't have any answers and I need help. And you were very quick to say, let's just try something. Mm -hmm. Um, So what happens when you get patients who come in who are saying something's not working right here? This is just, I, I I understand that I'm on something. Everything's going haywire. Tell me what your, which I'm going to say is going to be a good example of communication
0: because
1: yeah. <laughs> I just know it is because you're a doctor. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me about how that situation would go.
3: You know, I think when I uh, came up in training, we were still seeing a lot of patients that just said, okay, I don't know if I agree but, you know, I'm just gonna, let's just roll with it. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly probably last 10 years or so, you know, I would say the majority of our patients have really uh, thrown their opinion into the ring. And I think uh, this forces the providers to have to really acknowledge that open discussions are going to have to happen. If it's not happening, that you know, something wrong is going on then,
0: mm-hmm. right?
3: Because ultimately end of the day with you, Tiffany, is that you, you tried to open the discussion you know, to the provider, but, you know, that particular provider wasn't real, already had the story and narrative built in her mind
0: mm-hmm. that
3: she had to recite in order to, in her mind, you know, treat you, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think that's kind of the aspect of this, of active listening, all right? Not just listening, but listening with the intent that you're going to come up with an action plan based on mm-hmm. what you said, even though it may, may not be fully relevant to the reason why you're there, also, uh, I think in rheumatology, we see this quite a bit more because there are so many quality of life issues living with chronic diseases, particularly those that are muscle skeletal with pain components mm-hmm. that no other physician really wants to handle a priori. And so as a result, many of the stories come to rheumatologists. And I do find it our responsibility to address those issues and also say, I have an avenue forward for you. It's not going to be me, but there's a colleague that I think that could help. Or to be able to say, I'm not really sure what we can do right now. But the thing is, is that, you know, you know I keep reminding me of what's going on, you know, and something will click. Right. Maybe it's it's something you picked up at a conference or a discussion with a colleague. And I think that's something that our generation we're really good at is almost every one of us texts each other, you know, the providers nationally and internationally and also on Twitter, you Mm -hmm. know, just, you know, examining cases, just throwing ideas out there. Um, It's much more of a fluid communication stream outside the office, but it does require that active listening. Right. And I think the other kind of nuance here was that you saw someone else other than the MD initially for that return visit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where the MD failed to set expectations. All right, including how office settings will run, because this is very common now in the private practice world, where the MD sees the new patients Mm -hmm. because of the experience and complexity. But once you cinch down the diagnosis, it's almost always... Other help, nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, whatever, that end up taking care of the follow-up visits, all right? Largely, if, especially if the patient's stable. And I don't think, I don't know. I know there's some practices in St. Louis area that really do a good job of painting that picture, but I know most of them don't,
0: mm-hmm.
3: right? And that's really strange to, I think, a lot of humans when they hear that. that- my
2: rheumatologist speaks directly like that and yeah. has that open communication and also will say, now that we've gotten you to a stable point, let's have my nurse practitioner start to see you. And if if at any time something starts going awry, mm-hmm. I'll come back into the picture and I'll still keep following all your blood work and all your other things that are going on. Um, That makes a huge difference.
3: Right. It it does. And so it's just a matter of making sure there's an alignment of of these expectations. And this goes into the much broader topic we can talk about later about uh, setting expectations for treatment. Right. And 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 your health which is a much more involved and complicated discussion. But even just the simple things saying that, you know, this is how we run things here, but I'm still involved type of thing. You know, if you don't establish that confidence in the process, you're going to lose their trust.
1: Yeah, I just think that it this alone just opened up a nice bullet point to build off of as we develop this book is that you're the different people that you could be coming in contact with in these communications that can derail a little in this case. If I had not been persistent, I could have walked out of there with a diagnosis continued of rheumatoid arthritis on the same treatment and who knows what would have happened. But we have to remember that there are different models of the office and different people. So definitely something to think about there. Okay, question, Al. Oh, go ahead. I got
2: one question, to yeah. Did um, for that follow up visit? Did you know you were going to be seeing a PA? No. Okay, so you yeah. fully intended to actually walk in and see that loan. <laughs> it's not good.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just—it's just it's just, it, bad business. That's really yeah. just bad business. That yeah. there's a huge assumption by that office that you're going to see us. And you're going to enjoy your experience and get treated. But, you know, obviously it's execution is, is less than optimal.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, Al, you're up. Roll the dice. Good? Uh, where bad, do I start? Or you know, ugly? I think
3: I, I think, I don't know. I, I can't. I can't think of an ugly situation. I'm sure there was. I just explained. We we covered the ugly.
2: Yeah, we're we're done. We'll do some
3: bads, some bads, and they can really all go and get lumped into where I wasn't as effective as a listener. I'm I'm not going to give specific examples, Mm -hmm. but there have been multiple times where I either phase out sometimes or I just didn't fully understand the ask, and I misinterpreted without clarifying, mm. and this leads to just a a hellhole mm-hmm. of, of, of a pit <laughs> that you have to try to dig out of in order to rebuild that trust. Mm. And I think you know at the end of the uh, of these clinics, where all of a sudden it's like the last two or three patients of of, of a day, this happens. Is part of this is that. Our energy and our mood really has to match the intensity of the emotion of the ask, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And this is a, a major source of burnout, along with uh, dealing with electronic medical records, which is a, which is a separate topic. Okay. Uh, but you know, for me, I, I'm either fortunate or whatever. I only see patients a half day a week because most of my work at WashU is in research. And so as a result, I can kind of emotionally just let it all out. Right. But usually the rest of the day, I'm a bit of a zombie. Mm -hmm. Like I've just, I've, I've, I've given all I can. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
3: when I think of my colleagues who see patients three, four, even five full days a week, I don't understand how they manage their emotional reserve
2: their brain, their brain just can't handle anymore (laughs) emotionally and what you're investing into each patient. By the end of the day, you're done.
3: Right. You know, I mean, I think we're not all physicians are empaths, first of all, but of (laughs) those who are keeping it up at a, you know, a nine or a 10 level out of 10 is, is a lot of work. But I think, You know, I I look at that the other way around is that a lot of our patients that are coming in with issues that are 11 or 12 out of a 10 scale, they're living it 24 seven and I just have to turn it on and off during these visits, right? So it kind of tells me also that I kind of need to work on, on managing those emotions and those energies to make sure it's consistent and at the intensity that is required to make sure that many of the people that I see are equally satisfied with the care they're getting and that and, and confidence with the plan moving forward. I you know, mm-hmm. that's something again. I, I think I don't I never would have thought this would have been an issue during training. But of course, during training, I was much com- more concerned about am I making the right decision? You know, medically. I always want to make the right decision medically, but that's usually sometimes not the right decision in the real world. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where, Makes right, sense. and that's where. The you know under you know, that active listening really is so critical that it adds more than just subtle nuance. I mean, it can add just you know a whole new layer of of a uh, you know, difference in how you're going to present options.
1: No, that's a that's a great great point. So, tell me about what you think, Al. Are some of the best, doesn't have to be specific examples, but what makes a very good experience? What, if you were going to create some bulleted recommendations for this ebook?
3: Good question. You know, mm, I know, I, and I
1: didn't even prep you for it. So I'm yeah. just going cold.
3: Yeah, and there's just gonna be silence <laughs> and cute. the rest of this podcast is gonna be super awkward because of it. <laughs> um, I,
2: I highly you, doubt that.
3: You know, um. And again, a lot of this really is dependent on kind of the time pressures of that clinic session. Yeah. But the more organized the patient is, and we've talked about this in prior podcasts, Mm -hmm. I've heard you guys talk about this in prior podcasts, you know, telling patients, organize your thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. And try to bring a list in or better yet, send the list through the electronic, you know, medical record system, all right, that can prep the provider, with you know talking points so that there isn't you know so at least there's uh you know an ability for me to be able to say you know i've looked at these and i can lump these into three major things and let's just i want to run through them and just double check whether or not this is consistent with the way you're thinking mm-hmm. right out of the list of say 20 things that are there right so that saves so much time but it also addresses all 20 of those concerns Right, and so uh, we don't do a very good job of that in our clinic. We don't prep our patients to think like that, right? Mm-hmm. And again, there's so many, so much room for like, for improvement in how we how we provide, uh, care for our patients. But, you know, I, 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 this would be probably one of the next steps that we would do, at least within our lupus center, is try to come up with these type of forms. I, I know that Lupus Foundation America has some stuff, the Glasgow smith Klein has some stuff through the programs through uh, for their Blimimab product. And so there are resources. We just need to do a better job of disseminating them, mm-hmm. um, instructing our patients on how to best use them and then actually using them, right? And That's so that awesome. that really is probably the thing that I appreciate the most when, when you're busy is that all of a sudden you're like, okay, I have six things I need to discuss, All right? mm-hmm. Three of them I have to discuss, right now the other three maybe we can you know punt off to other things if we you know it you know it's, it's usually more complicated than that but that's though, though that's kind of like the biggest win for me is like yo, oh, you have a list let's look at it
2: mm. right. has your patient ever sent something to you through the medical records has that ever happened because i never would have thought to do that because i come right. with my list of right. things. do you mean the portal the portal yes. yeah. Like the yeah. Okay.
3: yeah 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 yeah. Only once, but well, we, we get it every once in a while, but it's usually like a dire situation that's emerging. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Right. And I was just so, curious because I, mm-hmm. I love that idea. Cause again, you and your brain can sit there and lump it together in right. how you discuss that in right. the amount of time you still have. Cause again, right. that's limited.
3: You know, when we like in our research group, you know, we'll use things like Slack, you know, other things would be mm-hmm. like Discord, right? Where it's this asynchronous communication, right? That we don't, we kind of do a little bit in medicine, you know, with phone calls in the past and portal messages, you know, now, but I think we don't, obviously we don't use it to prep for a formal visit and trying to extract out as much value within a very limited amount of time, right? Right. So yeah. that I think is a something we we just need to do a better job of just executing.
1: Mm-hmm. Deb, what do you think makes for a really good experience?
2: So I'm going to give a shout out to my rheumatologist here in Madison, um, Christy Bartles. I figured you'd know her because, yep. again, she's in the research world she, as she's well. She's so and good. Yeah. yeah. So every time I am at ACR, I always try to go and hop in on whatever she's participating in. And she during appointments will tell me what she's knee deep in as far as research goes. But she is fabulous because she brings in this document. So as she's asking how things are going, she's filling in everything on this tear off sheet. So I get a copy and she keeps a copy. And um, it reminds her too. And as we're talking about things, she will write down. Okay, so where I'm thinking is these might be the changes we might need to do, and we're gonna do at least one of them, if not two. And then she always wants what my opinion is. Is so it's complete, you know, shared decision making. She takes notes on everything that I'm saying as far as what's better, what's not better, what parts are really inflamed. She still looks at um, my hands are a mess, so she'll still do all the documentation of everything. And I feel like I'm really listened to because she's making eye contact when she can, but she's documenting everything. And I still go home with that torn off sheet and she'll go into her little spiel about, okay, so this is what we're changing. And in the very bottom of the document, it's got what I need to do. So I'm walking away with, I know exactly what I'm going to be changing. And we're still working on the prednisone taper. So I'm down to four milligrams from seven and I'm still, she's still actively working on getting me off. But again, I'm 40 years into having steroids. So in my head, but I, I have been doing the taper, but once things start get a little wonky, I kind of stay where I'm at. And again, I'll go back and I know back in January, we'll be talking about it again as far as, okay, you're at four, let's keep going. And she'll want to know what my opinion is and if I'm going to do it, because that's one thing i think about from a rheumatologist perspective you're giving these orders and you're assuming that these patients are taking their meds as they're supposed to and the non compliance so i mean do they ever, do you ever, I'm sure it comes out somehow in the discussion of, oh, by the way, I'm not taking my sulfasalazine anymore, or I'm not taking my steroid anymore, or, you know, those type of things. Like, you just got to wonder how that blows the rheumatologist's mind and, because you're assuming. <laughs> so we,
3: that's such an interesting perspective. And I think you're probably right. The most rheumatologists will look at the patient and being like, come on, right? But so we looked at this specifically in our lupus patients. And because in lupus, we have a very high non-adherence rate. It's closer to Mm -hmm. 60, 70 percent if you look at hydroxychloroquine. And we asked the question why. Uh, We had a very talented team uh, led by this guy, Jarek Leung, who uh, got his master's in public health. Tiffany, you know him. Mm -hmm.
1: He's um, been on the show.
3: Yep, at SLU with uh, Elizabeth Baker. And now he's getting his PhD in public health down in the Rollins School of Public Health in Emory with several people, including Sam Lim, who's another major lupus guy uh, down at Emory Grady. Wow. So Jarek helped us look at this qualitatively through interviews. Um, and that's kind of the technique he really is, is mastering. And what he found through uh, these interviews was the main reason for intentional medication non-adherence was poor communication between Mm. the physician and the patient. All right, because, right, and and I think this works at several different levels. Uh, First of all, if we think back of when we were in school, the thought of taking a test right after a lecture is given yeah. is ludicrous, right? You'd be like, I' I'm, I'm only going to get like ten percent of these questions, right. But this is what we expect out of our patients in our clinic visits, right? Oh, we basically tell you of that. right We basically tell you once. and maybe we'll give you some um some notes, all right uh, about a medication. but we really don't provide additional mechanisms for you to be able to understand it, uh, uh, internalize it, process it right and this is what we do with studying, right then you're ready to be able to address the the question at hand do I take this medication or not
0: mm-hmm. we have
3: no infrastructure for that all right we try to achieve this in a 20 minute visit at the very end where the first 15 minutes was data gathering, synthesis clarification and then the decision is made to give two options one option is decided on I mean it's kind of' it's, it's insane, right the way we do these these visits so, and I can share a link to uh, this paper in the in the notes, but this is something that we, it's, it's kind of embarrassing because these are my patients that he's largely interviewing, mm. right? So I'm guilty of this. And actually it's interesting, a lot of our lupus data, most of it's from our patients and we're asking some very tough questions. And it's, it's made me re-examine like what the hell am I doing here? Like, <laughs> why why how, how did I get so blinded to the fact that I'm I'm not doing things the right way? So, this was one of those things that we need to do a better job of building communication of methods, and, and we're talking plural, like it can't be just right. verbal right in the mm-hmm. office, it's gotta be other mechanisms, and so we've been working with uh, Beth Baker at St. Louis University on trying to figure out how do we can, can we make a digital resource that can not only query and identify unmet needs in terms of, say, social support, but then how do you fill that back in, mm. including informational support from the provider's team, all right? That's so again, if you want to, yeah, we want to make it more of a, of a conversation. A, a huge issue here is going to be a burden to the you know the healthcare providers team right and how how yeah. do we manage that load i think there's a lot of questions uh, about that and i think uh, a lot of physicians if they're going to hear this they're like you know i i need a break right mm-hmm. everyone needs a break no doubt it's just okay there's a, there, there's got to be a way where we can make this uh, not so burdensome because this will make the visits less problematic right if you want to use that word yeah so right
1: well, you went ahead and answered the last question, or partially. So I'll answer it. You could add to it, but you s- delved into. I was going to say some of the barriers, the biggest barriers to communication and different components. So you, I mean, you started touching on. Is there anything else that oh, you yeah. would add, as far as yeah, this is really a barrier?
3: Yeah, and- I, I think. Um, I can't remember who mentioned like simple things like eye contact. Oh, it was you, Deb, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, it, it's just. You know me Tiffany like you know our visits what I'm trying to achieve is can we have a similar conversation if we were strangers at a bar
0: mm-hmm.
3: right <laughs> yeah, All- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait well what, what did i say yeah <laughs> All right, But that, that's kind of the intent It's kind of like it's going to be free flowing. It may be directionless for a bit of time. But at the same time, you're trying to get to just, you know, uh, a, a very comfortable stage where information is being transmitted back and forth. All right. Mm-hmm. We're trying to remove barriers. That's ultimately, at the end of the day, the big, biggest thing, because I am new to you as a patient. All right. And yet at the same time, I need to earn your trust almost immediately in order for you to give me uh, the depth of information and the quality of information, including things that are gonna be personal in order to be able to get to the next step. And so like for me, I'm going to exercise my privilege as a man because I think for women, this is much more difficult because the status and respect issues, um, you know, in our part of the country is a problem for many of our female physicians, but like I never wear my white coat. I don't even know where it is. I know I don't wear ties. <laughs> Right. I'll even wear things like this to the clinic. You know, I have kind of this pullover. Mm-hmm. Right. And largely is because I, I'm, I'm not at all interested in playing the game where I am the doctor and you are the patient. No, know, this is a conversation between two people. Mm-hmm. Right. With two different skill sets and two different knowledge bases. Mm-hmm. I have a specific knowledge base that's much more generic and broad. Right. For the many thousands of people with disease X. You have a knowledge base for your experience, all right? And somehow we have to bring everything together. And so it's a lot harder for the patient to be able to relay that experience, I think, than it is for us to be able to relay information, all right, of what we're thinking, all right? So that's, to me, the most important personal goal with each new patient is to make sure that there's going to be no barriers, all right? I, I'm not going to judge you because I frankly look at myself and think, my God, I got a lot of problems. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, <laughs> right. But that's kind of how I I, I I view it. Right. Is that, you know, it's just this is the way for us to just have that conversation at the bar. Mm-hmm. That's essentially it.
1: And, and disclaimer: at no time were there ever alcoholic beverages served in this doctor yeah. office bar. Right, right, right. But but it's been discussed. Analogy only. It's yes, it's been discussed. Is that why, Tiffany, only. We've discussed. This. That's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. Going to wrap this conversation up because we want to encourage it to be continued by everyone who is listening. We put a lot of different subtopics of communication and how it works in a doctor's office on the table here. We talked about adherence. We talked about diagnosis. We talked about therapy. We talked about not being heard. We talked about barriers. There's so many different components to this, and we all have very varied stories and varied experiences, and we really do believe that we collect enough of these stories along the spectrum of what is good, what is bad, what is just not okay, then we can't like <laughs> circling back to Deb's yeah. clinical trial story <laughs> and her poor husband, Tim, not loving her for um, uh, Tim. He got what thrown a shame. Under the bus.
2: He got thrown under
1: the bus. He got thrown under the bus. And never um, knew it. Funny. And then being able to work together to come up with some great examples and things that we can build on. So it is a joint effort <laughs> that did not even plan that pun, but yeah. it worked. <laughs> uh, so it's a joint effort between the rheumatologists and the patients, and we would love for everybody listening to be part of it. Very simple: just submit your story. We'll share the link with you also in the text portions of this. But it is at aiarthritis.org backs slash G-B-U, good, bad, ugly. So it's very simple to find more information on this and a link to submit your story. You can submit as many as you'd like. And we are just looking forward to seeing where we could go with this to improve communication in the doctor's office. So I wanna thank uh, my co-host, Deb. Thank you so much for being here. And also Al, I appreciate you taking the time out. Pleasure as well. So Al, tell everyone where they could find you or follow you if you want. I know you do great posts that I follow on Twitter. What's your
3: handle? It's much more non safe for work on Twitter, but my handle is at Al H Kim A-L-H-K-I-M. If you follow me and a lot of the threads that are on, I'm on, you'll also get hooked up with many of yes. the rheumatologists who are really engaged in social media, mm-hmm. um, and you'll be able to kind of see some of the debates and the issues that we're having internally. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to are in the uh, St. Louis region, you can simply uh, Google my name, Alfred Kim and Washington University and my Faculty page will pop up, and there will be contact information there if you wanted to awesome. be seen, especially if you ha- if you have or suspect to have lupus.
1: All right, so there you go, and then you can find us at AI Arthritis on all of the social media. That's Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. I can't even remember them all because I am not the hugest of social media <laughs> peeps at our organization, but it is at if. AI arthritis and all of those handles and you could also find all of the episodes for this at aiarthritis.org backslash talk show and while there if you want to hit the big red button that says donate we certainly would appreciate it because it helps with us in the production of the show so that is it everyone please pull up a seat at the table submit your stories and together we can change the stories of tomorrow thank you all for joining in until next time
0: AI Arthritis Voices 360 is produced by the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis. Find us on the web at www.aiarthritis.org. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and stay up to date on all the latest AI Arthritis news and events.